Hello, and welcome to the seventh episode of the NetCentric podcast, NetCentric, a cognizant digital business, and this is the first edition of the new year in 2022. I'm joined today by some NetCentric originals or original gangsters going back quite some time with NetCentric in the, the lifespan of the company, Katarina Swigart and Hans-Jörg Hersler. So I don't butcher your your backgrounds and biographies as much as I butchered your names, maybe it's best if you guys give a, a quick self-intro. Katarina, why don't you kick us off? Thank you very much, Scott, for the nice introduction and also thanks for being our host today. So my name is Katarina. I'm living in the beautiful city Munich in South Germany, together with my husband and my two kids, um, two girls to be precise. And I joined Netcentric in 2013, so almost nine years ago, and I function as head of delivery here. So that means my mission is to empower strong delivery teams here at Netcentric, ensuring we have the people with the right skills added to our engagements so that we deliver what we promise to our clients and at the same time also enjoy what we are doing. So this is very dear to me and my focus every single day. Perfect, perfect. And, and Hans-Jörg, what about yourself? Well, um, Hans-Jörg Jakob Hürzeler. <laughs> typical, Better than how I said <laughs> Typical Swiss name, married, beautiful daughter, all fine. I joined Netcentric in 2014 uh, to help with operations and support. This is who I am in this business now for 30-something years. And still Perfect. enjoying it. That's great. That's great. So going back, back in time, way back in time, could you tell us a little bit about your first ever childhood memory of technology? Hans-Jörg, why don't you? Well, that's a, that's a very straightforward one. I had an FM radio stored underneath my bed because every Tuesday night at 8 p.m., there was 30 minutes of hit parade, it was called. <laughs> um, 30 minutes of rock and pop music. The only 30 minutes in the entire week. And <laughs> so turning this on, making sure my parents wouldn't notice, that was this FM radio. Huge as a break, but dear to my heart. So that once a week window where you got to where you got to just let the soul go into rock and roll. That's great. <laughs> and Katarina, what's your what's your first memory of, of technology? I think the most life changing experience actually were with our neighbors when they started um, to have their the video games um, PCs and I always went over there to to play games. Yeah, I was so drawn in. I loved it so much. This new way of entertainment so i think around 14 i decided to save a lot of money because i wanted to have something for myself and my actual first device was the sega game gear a handheld device and i was so proud and it also had a tv tuner that you could plug into it so i also had a little tv you know on my own that was yeah. Awesome. I That's loved cool. it. <laughs> I remember both of those. I remember both those devices. It's funny, you know, you, you fast forward 30 years or so, 40 years from then, and, and the Nintendo Switch is essentially the same thing as the Sega handheld. You know, so it's like technology, is, it's gone really far, but at the same time, the, the user, let's say, interface and interaction is quite similar to what it was um, then. 
Um, but Katarina, so so from the the Sega game handheld, how did you <laughs> progress into uh, in your studies and and getting into the professional world? Yeah, there is a connection, of course. So uh, I was born and raised in in Heidelberg, also another beautiful city. Everyone should uh, should visit if they have the chance to. I moved to Dresden to study computer science because I was intrigued to to work in IT because at that time um, we had internet at home and, and it was a very interesting field for me. Uh, but after my bachelor, I was looking for something more more to go towards the games industry, right? And there's the connection. So I still wanted to do something that ha- was particular for for games. And so I moved to Glasgow. I did my master's there in, in games technology because I was so fascinated how, how games create such an immersion and how you can interact with these worlds. And uh, for my master's thesis, I actually did some research on how music is influencing your emotions and how we can measure that during a game and alter the game itself to intensify your um, experience. Wow. So it's a very interesting field, right? I was even thinking about doing my PhD in this area, but I also felt I, I needed industry experience. So I started to work in the games industry as game master in QA and so on. And then I worked as a games producer, um, first on the developer side and then on the publishing side. And then eventually I thought, okay, now I need to switch in industry. <laughs> and this is how I met Netcentric. Wow. So what, what was that turning point for you? What was the, the moment where you said, you know what, I, I want to kind of diversify a little bit and get out of the games world? I think it was not so particular about the industry. It was more about the company I was working in, which was uh, had a lot of po- politics. Um, I had the feeling that people spend a lot of energy working rather against each other and blaming each other instead of working together. So there was a lot of, you know, save my, save my neck behavior. Yeah. And um, I knew some founders of Netcentric through a mutual friend. Um, and when I met them in the beer garden, I was just amazed by their spirit, right? A bunch of young people that want to build great solutions, helping each other and, and having fun what they're doing. And I really like working with teams and this feeling of this... Um, you know, this family-like dynamics, um, that is something what I was missing so much. And when I met the guys from the Centric, I was just so drawn in. It felt like, yeah, this is this is a place I want to be. You know, at the end, for me, as a producer slash project manager, software is software. Um, but uh, it, for me, this the, the value and, and, and the idea and the spirit, that was important for me. Cool. I'm yeah. still here. I love yeah. it. That's that's a great journey. And Hans Jörg, what about yourself? How did um, how did your career evolve? <laughs> in zigs and zags. Uh, so <laughs> I grew up in a typical Swiss family, uh, privileged situation, the shore of the Lake of Zurich, uh, nothing nothing missing, but somehow we were pretty political, and because of that, status quo was always wrong for me, even when I was in school. So. Shortly before finishing my school, I dropped out because this is what you do. And um, I tried to make my living as a journalist and as a musician. And um, so for some years I struggled 
had a great time, but I struggled and finally had to realize that will is not everything. You need talent as well. And so I returned back to Switzerland and uh, finished my school, studied biochemistry. And um, I ran out of money during my studies. And so I went into IT for a while. That was the goal. Go to IT, good money to be made for a while. I'm going to be there and then I get back. And then the musician and the journalist again. <laughs> what do they say about uh, making the universe laugh? Tell the universe yeah, tell, your tell, plans. Tell the universe your plans. <laughs> <laughs> so I was working as a systems engineer in mainframes and uh, then joined the dark side from a customer to a software provider. And I somehow just stuck there. It felt like a good thing to do. It was a combination of communication with people because we're not, we're actually not talking to computers. Computers mm -hmm. don't matter. I simply loved helping people to get the value for what they're already paying. And so I stuck there and um, then ambition kicked in. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> started to wear shirt and tie and practice managerial without any experience. And so a couple of times got pretty close to burnouts and stuff. And so I started to be interested in ways of working. How can you actually do your job and love doing it? And um, so I went into getting things done, methodology, later holacracy. Um, but it was, it was never planned. It was just, let's see if there's something else. And then big break on the wrong side of 50. And you know how it is in the IT industry as a manager on the wrong side of 50. Well, you don't know yet, but let me <laughs> <Yeah>. tell you, <laughs> um, this exists on the wrong side of 50, um, and suddenly realizing it cannot go on like this. So panicky out in the market. And as with Katarina, uh, friends of friends. Hey, hans there are these crazy young guys. Uh, I think you should talk to them. <laughs> and I talked to them. And we realized we have nothing to do with each other. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. It was a great meeting. And a couple of months later, suddenly I had this email. Hey, hans uh might you be available to help us for a little bit? And um, they asked for my help, offered me a three-month contract uh, because Netcentric was truly a startup back then. They couldn't mm -hmm. commit to more than three months. <laughs> um, after three months, uh, I just stuck around mm -hmm. and been here for now. Uh, what is it? Eight years. <laughs> wow, that's quite a story. Uh, and and the the chicken and the egg question, uh, Hans Jörg, what what came first, holacracy at Netcentric or Hans Jörg at Netcentric? <laughs> Very tough to say. During my job interview with one of the founders, was actually the first discussion we had about holacracy or similar constructs. So was it a, was it a gradual buy-in process from the rest of the uh, the team, the leadership team, or was it uh, pretty much a instantaneous like aha moment? We're going to try this. 
my impression is it was discussed for quite some time, a couple of months, but mm -hmm. then there was a big jump and no looking back. Mm -hmm. And that was right around 2014? Yep. That was and, after a couple of months after I joined, yes. And Katerina, was that, was that something that you kind of like uh, gravitated to naturally? How, how, did, how did you kind of get into, the, uh, into this process? Barely anyone knew about this, right? Mm -hmm. Holacracy was quite new. Um, we were also, or speaking for myself, right? Not used to it. You're very used to this high, hierarchies, um, you know, from your, from your family, from school, from uh, different organizations, but also from university. So that is actually what you know. So then there's this new concept, um, which sounds interesting, but at the same time, you don't know it. But we got quite a lot of trainings. It was very interesting. Of course, it's a, a huge set of rules you have to learn. It's something totally new. So, of course, you're maybe a little bit afraid at the beginning. Um, but I think it was great that we tried it out and we had a lot of support and help to actually get it running, get it started. So, you know, introducing a concept like this, I mean, I imagine this is very you know, new, revolutionary to a lot of the, men, a lot of the employees there. Um, what was that? What was that process like? Bring bring this uh, this framework to an early stage startup, and and also, did it require some sort of uh, unlearning and detaching from the status quo? Well, I dabbled with it before, after mm -hmm. decades of being a typical manager, mm -hmm. director of ABC and senior director, and all these fancy titles, and for me it was tough. Initially, I thought, oh, easy, cool. But in the day-to-day -day life, trusting the process and letting go, oh my God, that was so difficult. And still after eight years, I think it's a, it's a constant learning process. Because as Katarina said, we, we grow up as kids in hierarchies. And uh, if I may... I disagree a little bit, Katarina. The rules are not so many. They are just so novel. <laughs> because the rules are actually quite a few. Not mm -hmm. too many. But because it's so unconventional, once you get in contact with it, this is where I struggled. It can't be that simple. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree to that, Hans-Jörg. It it's just a new way of working you're not used to. Right. So that is then um, especially there are different meeting types and they have they are very structured because everything is very structured with with holacracy. And that is something what you have to learn again. But at the same time, also, once you understand why you do it this way, it is so liberating. It helps us to make quick decisions or, or solve uh, problems very quickly in a very structured way. Yeah, definitely. Now, was there, um, you know, some major bumps in the road in, in this implementation process that maybe you thought that this isn't going to work and, and you should, you know, reverse course? Katarina, <laughs> you were on the inside. So. <laughs> I was on the inside, yeah. Um, I think everything that is new and everything that is not is not working 100%, you quite quickly probably get the idea or the thought maybe hmm, was that the right decision what is really 
keeping us up here is is the idea behind it, right? This this it it this agile mindset that holacracy as a framework helps us to to structure and organize ourselves and and always reminds us to inspect and adapt what we are doing and mm-hmm. um i think that is very key to to what we want to do and um as hans Juk said we are always learning and i think this is also important that we take time to learn and 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 go back and think about it and then think think about how or what we can do better in the future. So I, I'm pretty sure a lot of people had thoughts in between, but I'm glad that we kept it and, and we improved it. And um, as hans said, we are still learning, but I think we're also doing it in a very, very good way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, from, from my side, because as I was a part of this initial group that, uh, so I was partial to the reception, of course. Um, and after one and a half years, I thought, mm, we're stuck. But then, and this is why today I'm so convinced that we did the right thing. We used the rules of holacracy to process that thought. We <laughs> all think that the grass is green around the other side. However, it's interesting in that context. We have some good colleagues who left us for the greener pastures on the other side. Some of them are back. The liberty that he feels working in a holocratic system is one of the main reasons. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. Um, especially, you know, because it's a gradual, I imagine it's a very gradual uh, self-recognition of, of what you prefer and how you prefer to work. And then when you leave that and it's abruptly taken away, all of a sudden that, well, wait, I actually had something really. Could you succinctly actually define or, or in... Um, in a, in a sentence or two, explain what holacracy is for any members that are non-net centric employees, any listeners? I would describe it that holacracy is actually our operating system, right? The way how we run and structure mm-hmm. our organization. And we do this by giving every employee and, and not only the management, but every employee the power to make changes and have a voice within mm-hmm. the organization. So mm-hmm. we're using the system of, um, self-management and distributing the authority across several heads. So we are moving away from micromanaging managers and and rather empower more people to make meaningful decisions and and drive meaningful change exactly when and where it's needed. Yeah. And Hans, would you you agree with that assessment? Yes, yes. Um, I mean, the rules, as I said, they are simple, but Mm -hmm. the key driver and this is what we practice. Every company says that they only hire the best and the brightest, right? And then they bring them in and tell them exactly how things are done. (laughs) What on earth? When you want to be successful, then hire the best and the brightest and provide them with their playing field. Mm -hmm. And in that playing field, they decide. And if they don't like something, then they have the freedom to change. Mm -hmm. And this goes all through the organization. And this is, in a nutshell, for me, what holacracy is. It is recognizing what is not in a state that it could be, should be, and having a good rule set to initiate changes right on the spot. So Mm -hmm. if I recognize something that is wrong in my surrounding, 
I can change it within 10 minutes, two hours maximum. And it is changed. It's not going up the pyramid to some committee and then might filter down again. We, we change the organization the way our reality requires it. I like that. What are some of the maybe misconceptions or misunderstandings about holacracy? Katerina, what, what, what would you say the most the most common ones are? Oh, there, there are a couple of them. The idea be in, in holacracy is actually that you are shaping the work around roles and not mm -hmm. persons. So you are describing um, really precisely what the role is supposed to do, what's the purpose of the role and what are their accountabilities. For many people, that changes when when they are working in this role concept. Um, this is a new way of taking responsibility, but at the same time, I also had have to let go of responsibility, right? Especially if I don't know, I was before head of something, and I had uh, hundred people under me, and I was deciding a lot of things, and mm -hmm. now I'm in a in a structure where there are different roles for for different things to do, and I I have to I cannot control everything. But I think once you learn it, you can also see um, the benefits that are coming with it. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and I I think that's a theme that a lot of high growth companies can can learn from. Um, there's a concept coming uh, out the last year, few years, is this concept of share your Legos, right? Uh, and and it, it's one of the hardest things for ambitious, highly productive, you know, professionals to do is actually to give up turf, you know, and say, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to bring in help and, and, and make those boundaries very clear and those expectations clear. What about you, Hans? Uh, well, did you, did you have some experience with that? Oh, yeah. And uh, by the way, uh, the thing about the Legos, I love it. I haven't heard about this, this, but it's, it's, it's truly, it's truly matching one of the difficulties when you do the transition uh, that you can move towards this. Uh, what I uh, tend to hear is this is no hierarchy. Uh, this is a flat organization. Uh, mm -hmm. With Holacracy, you're not necessarily a flat organization. You have the complexity and the hierarchy that is required at this very moment in time. Mm -hmm. And in two months, it might look different. But there is a hierarchy. There is leadership because we don't want to have chaos. Mm -hmm. It's just mm -hmm. a very different type of leading, of guiding, and of uh, processing tensions. Um, in a way, uh, sometimes I say it's like King Arthur and the round table. They're equals around that table, but still there is Arthur. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, it's just that uh, Arthur can change in our setup. There is the round table, there is leadership, but it's not tied to this one individual. We mm -hmm. do not tie the roles to the people energizing the roles. And I believe this concept is sometimes hard to grasp. And then I still remember somebody said, I want to be promoted to be a lead link. And I told him, sorry, my friend, this is exactly how the game is not played. So this idea of, uh, of having leadership without 
tying it to a person, to a personality, to disentangle this mm -hmm. is seems to be quite difficult. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, but but it's the it's the it seems like a central theme uh, of holacracy, and I really like that that point and and making that very clear that uh, a flat hierarchy or a flat organization is not interchangeable or synonymous with uh, holacracy. It, you know, it's it's uh, it's not one for one there. It's almost like a shape shifting uh, organization. That's that's a good way of putting it. Mm -hmm. Yes, I agree. Mm -hmm. So how has um, you know, and hopefully we're we're nearing the finish line here. I think the whole world is looking for the end of the pandemic. But how has the last two years? How has NetCentric navigated? Uh, especially, has there been challenges to the, the holacracy within the last two years of the pandemic? The way we are operating and the way we are used to work, we are we are working with very distributed teams. We are uh, sitting in various locations, but working together as teams. So I think we were very used to this mm -hmm. way of working. So I think in that regard, um, it didn't hit us so much than maybe other organizations that are more used to to being exactly in the same, same room. I think from my point of view, the holacracy helped us actually, because uh, it's exactly, these are the situations, something happens, now we have to react, we have to do something, we need to be flexible, and we have the structure to do so. Right. So actually, Holacracy helped us to bring everything to uh, together um ensure what needs to be done. What do we need to do for employees, um, create the, the right task forces, so to speak. So I think in that regard, it actually helped us more than it was actually a problem. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Hans, do you see it differently? <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, uh, it was... Uh... It was fun, and it was a typical a typical case of playing playing this game of life and work mm -hmm. with holacracy. Um, I I remember back then we had uh, we had this one critical thing about operations and support, and I I still remember there was this bad message coming out of Singapore that made it clear this is a big one. And so um, somebody decided, hey, I have attention. We have to prepare if something could come down the pike. Mm -hmm. And within two days, uh, we switched in operations and support into a different mode of working. And I still remember there was this one client who, who said, but... Uh, don't you think you're overdoing it? And four days later, he informed me that they all would be sent home and that they were struggling. So as Katharina said, it, it truly helped us to be ahead of the curve. There were not these ego battles that I know from my previous life. If it comes from Department A, then Department B must not be impacted. Uh, doesn't happen because mm -hmm. we couldn't care less. We deal yeah. with that aspect where we are responsible and this is what we do. Mm -hmm. And I've heard a similar sentiment across across uh, several employees at NetCentric, just almost nonchalantly like, oh, you know, we were already pretty decentralized and used to working remotely across borders, time zones, cultures, continents. You know, it, 
was no big deal, you know. Um, and and it's it's really refreshing to hear that because a lot of a lot of organizations, especially larger ones and, and high growth ones, did struggle and are still struggling to find what what is the new normal? What does a hybrid workforce look like? What what are the rules going to be? Maybe more on a switching over to more of a, a personal level. How um, <laughs> how did you guys handle the the pandemic just just personally i have two kids so by nature i i have to have a work-life balance right yeah. I, I have my uh, natural uh, alarm clocks <laughs> spinning around mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. Hmm. it's a good question of course it has it has changed us it did it has changed us as a family um it also helped us maybe to to um, living not living more together but for a certain time spending so much time together that was it was also something nice right Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. of course i mean there was also fear and um also for for the kids it was it was not always easy but um i think the important part is to always yeah hold together think about what can when what can make our life better to me, as to my life, and uh, you mentioned work-life balance, uh, let me challenge this. Um, to me, there is no work-life balance because uh, my work at Netcentric is one of the many roles that I have in my life. So I hope I'm not dead while I'm working. <laughs> so um, it actually gave me more time because mm-hmm. I did not go to the office, so less commuting time. Um, of course, what you do with that additional time, whether you make something clever out of it or or just sit there. Uh, so for me, there wasn't a big change. Um, of course, my teenage daughter found it a bit more difficult to be locked in with her parents. This is what a a teenage girl does not right. necessarily want to have, but uh, we navigated that quite well. And uh, as you said, Katrina, in a way, in a way, being a parent, I don't know what my daughter would say, but being a parent, I got to know my daughter better. And so I'm not looking at this period as a lost, quite, quite the contrary. I learned a lot. And so... So, okay, I'm looking forward to mm-hmm. more normal times. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure my daughter and my <laughs> wife will feel the same. <laughs> but uh, but we navigated well. And because of this additional time, there was more life, mm-hmm. if I want to use grudgingly yeah. this work-life balance. There was more yeah. space for that. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. I feel the same. And I think it gave everybody, kind of the entire world, a sense, uh, a chance to pause. Speaking of, of work, as Netcentric's a growing company, a very fast growing company, and people are always, um, you know, uh, looking for new opportunities. And Netcentric, of course, is looking for some of the best and brightest to, to join them as well. What kind of recommendations or advice would you give to a, a newcomer, a new hire at Netcentric? I think when we are, when I'm talking to new joiners here, I, I always tell them, please share your thoughts, right? Bring in your experience. Let us know what you have learned so we can learn from you. Because I think that is important that we share our knowledge and and help each other 
um, to to improve on all sides. And that for me is very important. Everyone has so different experiences. Why not bring, you know, everything together and use um, the best out of it? Great. What about you, Hunter? What kind of advice would you give to a new hunter? Um, on top of what Katarina said, because it's, it's key what she just said. Uh, I tell people, when you have an observation, when you have questions, speak up, ask. Please ask. Please challenge us. This is what makes Netcentric unique. We are set up to process feedback and ideas. And this is so vastly different compared to all the other companies I worked for. Um, we actually applaud somebody for challenging the way we do things. This is something that truly makes Netcentric different from all the other companies I've experienced. So uh, we are set up to learn and to share. So those who speak up, those who ask, they make it far. Nice. Perfect. Okay. Well, as we are coming to the, uh, the limit here, um, I do have a final question to ask each of you. Uh, the, this is the, um, the same question we ask everyone who appears on the NetCentric podcast. Um, <laughs> Katerina, we'll, we'll start with you. Uh, which technology or innovation coming up, let's say over the next 10, 20 years, are you most excited about and why? I actually started now to look more or, or and into the whole cryptocurrency blockchain technology. I find it fascinating. Also a little bit of, well, not afraid. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds interesting. I just started to look into it. I, I, I want to know more how it works and, and uh, understand it. So that is something I'm, I'm currently looking into. Definitely. It's a very exciting space. Uh, I, I think it has, it has, global reaching and far i mean amazing amazing powers to disrupt uh, hopefully in, in a positive way it's very very exciting space what about you hans Jürgen? what uh, what gets you excited well maybe based on my background in biology biochemistry to me the emerging it biology interfaces this is when i would have another 150 years this is exactly where i would go um, the idea, the concept of merging IT resources with brain power, mm. so fascinating. Mm. We're talking about externalizing our brains. OMG, this yeah. is where I would love to spend the next 70 years. Uh, I think it's, we, we, we're not even at the point where we can grasp whatever will be coming down there. But uh, oh, this is going to be great, Definitely. scary, yeah. <laughs> accelerating. Yeah. No, it, it could be the end of the uh, the species and the beginning of a new, right? This, we would cease to be homo sapiens and become something new, uh, some sort of hybrid with technology. I think uh, it's a very exciting space. As Ray Kurzweil, uh, the famous futurist, uh, has said that we have reached or we are reaching terminal escape yeah, velocity. Yeah, terminal so, escape. Yep. Yeah, so every 10 years, we will have the technology to live another 10 years and another 10 years and another 10 years. So it's not that we have to have the technology now to live for 200 years, but 
We just need to live 10 more years. <laughs> well, perfect. Well, thank you uh, both so much for your time today. It's been, it's been great speaking with both of you. Well, thank you, Scott. It was yep. great. Thanks so much. And yeah, we'll hope to have you again here soon. Thanks, Hans-Jürg. Thanks, Katarina. Thank you very much. Have a good day.